show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile Natalie Mason, and we're coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Hi Justine. Hi Natalie, how are you? Hunky dory, how are you? (laughs) I'm not quite that good, but I'm pretty good. You'll get there. I will. Today we're talking about books to read by the fire, cosy reads, books you can practically climb inside of and feel immersed in another world, but also stay warm. That's important. Yeah, cold mm-hmm. is no good. No. Um, I'm so pleased to introduce a special guest that is joining us today, our colleague at the Melbourne Library Service, Athena. Yay. Welcome. Welcome. Hello, ladies. Lovely to be here. <laughs> Are you warm? You I'm feeling, very warm. Feeling, oh, good. Feeling mm-hmm. cosy? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get this book Let's- talk show podcast on the road. (laughs) Let's get to it. But before we do, we want to remind our listeners that we'd love to hear what you've been reading. So tweet us at Library. that's at M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y with the hashtag Dear Reader. And you can download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. All the books we mentioned on the show today will be listed in our show notes. We'll put them on our Goodreads page and you can find that via our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au. Okay. Justine, now we can get started, now. can't we? Yes, yes, right. now. Tell me about your first cosy fireside read. You ready, Athena? I'm more than ready. Okay, let's go. <laughs> okay, well, when I think of fireside books, I think of books that leave me feeling warm in my heart, and both of my choices today did that for me. So my first fireside read is H is for Hawk, a memoir by Helen MacDonald. This is the story of how one woman deals with her grief after her father passes away suddenly by training a goshawk. It may sound strange at first, but once we learn that the author was obsessed with birds of prey as a child and has flown falcons over the years, it kind of makes sense. Helen and her father had a close relationship and his unexpected loss completely devastated her. It would be fair to say that she almost went a little mad with grief. Helen had never been tempted to train goshawks before with their reputation as the most vicious of predators and very difficult to train, but in her grief, she finds that their fierce and feral temperament mirror her own feelings. She purchases Mabel, the goshawk, and is immediately entranced with this wild creature. The author is a naturalist and research scholar at the University of Cambridge, and she's structured this book really cleverly. It's part nature writing, part memoir, and part biography. Helen's story is interspersed with fragments of T.H. White's book, The Goshawk, a book she read as a child, a story of obsession and eccentricity from the author of The Once and Future King, and through her research and writing, we get a peek inside the mind of this troubled author. Interestingly, we discover that T.H. White was not very good at training his goshawk. Indeed, he kind of stuffs it up. And this is a counterpoint to Helen's own training of her goshawk, when she doesn't exactly make mistakes, but things don't always go her way. And her grief sometimes causes her emotions to get in the way of the training. So we follow the first year that Helen has Mabel, through her training, to being able to let Mabel fly without a tether, to letting her hunt. It's absolutely fascinating reading, and I won't pretend I didn't enjoy reading about Mabel hunting. It's what goshawks do, and I really enjoyed reading about a creature living its life as it was supposed to, and I think that's partly the point. The writing's really descriptive. The author's emotions are clear and unflinching throughout. The taming of Mabel, if you can call it taming, is written with carefully cranked tension as we wait for the moment when Mabel at last flies free from the wrist of her owner and we wonder, will she come back or will she fly away and be wild and free forever? 
The skill, patience and guts required for this training successfully distracts the author from her grief and gives her a way to work through it all. Here, bereavement is shown in all its oddity. Helen MacDonald writes, It happens to everyone, but you feel it alone. And that really resonated with me. And her recollections of her father are beautiful and heartbreaking. This is a profound meditation on grief and recovery, on an oftentimes haphazard healing process which may never be fully completed. I read it with a blanket over my legs in front of the heater with a cup of tea nearby. I think this one will stay with me for a while too. It was really lovely, a bit sad, but overall a heartwarming read. So that was H is for Hawk by Helen MacDonald. And now, I don't think either of you have read this one, have you? Not yet. It Not is yet. on my to-be-read list. It should be. It's really nice. But, yeah, be warned, I had tears in my eyes. and Yeah, but it was really lovely. Now, Athena, what is your first pick for Fireside Reading? Alrighty, so my first pick is The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow by Juno Diaz. The story follows the fortunes of the De Leon family, uh, who were originally from the Dominican Republic. Um, it's believed that the family has a curse that's been put upon them by the uh, Dominican despot of the time, um, who himself becomes a bit of a character in the book, even though even though he doesn't actively do anything, he's various henchmen and the social situations that he has put in place on the island deeply affect this one particular family. Uh, but we pick up the story once the, the family has actually moved to New Jersey and our hero is Oscar, who is adorable. He is, um, I mean, he's massively overweight and he's not particularly attractive. He's a class A nerd. Um, he He's uh, yeah, all about Lord of the Rings and comic books and role playing, and he writes fantasy novels just for pleasure. And but at the same time, he unfortunately has this beating heart of like a Mills and Boone Latin lover. He's so full of passion, <laughs> and he just and loves like he's he's just craving that type of like true love with women. And he just yeah, his his curse is that he's just never going to to find that connection he he wants. And when he does finally find it, he'll need to pay a very high price for it. Um, so there's him. There's also his beautiful but very troubled sister, Lola, uh, and his terrifying mother, um, Belly, um, who, whose own biography is sort of the, the backbone of the, of the narration. So the story jumps back and forth between the island um, when they're still back on... Um, Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic, and then into present day to what's happening with um with Oscar and uh, and Lola, uh, the narrator is who's sort of the fourth character um, who eventually reveals himself to be Junior. He is Lola's sometime boyfriend, um, and also Oscar's roommate at college, and he's the exact opposite of Oscar. He too is uh, Dominican, um, but he is. He's like a chronic womanizer. He's a you know fitness junkie. He's he's cool by all accounts for um by college standards, I guess. Um and but it's it's him that's telling the story. Uh, and finally, I'd say like I mentioned before, the the sort of the specter of Rafael Trujillo, who was the um who ruled for about thirty years in the Dominican Republic. Um and his reign is known as one of the bloodiest in, in the Americas. He is responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands of people. And, um, yeah, and so there's the story is as much about Oscar and his family as it is about the Dominican people around that time. It's sort of a potted history of that era and of 
the the folklore and and politics of the island. It's it's super interesting, um, and there's just so much to like about it and I'm not sure that I'll be able to do it justice but the things that really rang true for me was um so as a member of the diaspora myself it was there's a very strong themes there about what the diaspora feel um once they sort of move to the new world there's um so I identified a lot with that with a lot of the nostalgia for your ancestral homeland even though sometimes it was just it was clearly not the place for you to be anymore, it was, whether it wasn't safe or it just wasn't a viable situation. Um, there's really interesting commentary about what it means um, to be a, a Dominican man. Um, a lot of notions about masculinity and what makes you a proper man and what doesn't. Um, and also just the, the language that's used in this book, it's like this mix of um, this like high literary style mixed with like this sort of b-boy street slang, lots of Spanish slang and swearing and, you know, lots of geeky references throughout to comic book characters and Lord of the Rings characters and all, all other kinds of things. It, it makes for a very fast-paced story. It just really sort of sucks you in and, like, the books, you're through the book before you even know it. Um, I will just say that it's sort of littered with footnotes throughout, which some readers can find annoying or they can find that it sort of detracts from the flow of it. I actually, I have read read it in print, but the first time I experienced the story was as an audiobook. Um, and the audiobook is fantastic, If um, especially for those that have never tried audio. This would be the, the one to, to try. It's narrated by um, Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's the uh, the one who's currently starring as Alexander Hamilton in the Hamilton Broadway play that's taking everybody by storm. He does an amazing performance of that um, in the in the audiobook. It's available on our um, it's we only have it as a download and it's only on our one click digital um, account. But I would highly recommend that people download it and listen to it from there. You want to know the cool thing about one click? Sorry to interrupt. Is that it's simultaneous access, which means many right. people can be listening to the same book at once. That's the difference between some of our e-audio and e-book platforms is that they work like physical books. If someone has something on loan, you put it on reserve and when it comes in, it's yours. But with one click, that platform allows for multiple users for each item. So we could all be listening to it at the same time. Uh, it, it makes it so good for book clubs. And this would be a great book club book because there's, yeah, there's a lot going on for it. And I, I really think that especially if you are looking for those fireside reads where you can just, as, as you were mentioning earlier, just sort of get immersed in, in the in the world of a book and it's over before you know it. It's, it's a great one. So that's The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow by Juno Diaz. It sounds brilliant. I've seen that, you know, on the shelves on display and looked at it and gone, that's a great title and it looks like a really good book and I just haven't got my hands on it. But I think I might listen to the audio. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, fabulous, he, fabulous performer. So yeah. brilliant. Thanks, Athena. Natalie, what's your first fireside book? I chose The Dressmaker by Rosalie Hamm. Oh. I read this book recently. It was published in 2000. It was made into a film last year, so there's a big deal about it. I listened to the audiobook, so on the same theme as Athena. It's read by actor Rachel Griffiths, who you may know from Muriel's Wedding and TV shows Six Feet Under and Brothers and Sisters. There's something magical about being read aloud to, like having an audiobook, having someone read to you, and someone who's an actor too. It's a really immersive experience. It's enhanced sometimes I find when I'm doing something else while I'm listening. So I often find myself cooking or drawing or doing a puzzle or sewing. How's that? Imagine sitting by the fire or heating, doing your mending and listening to the dressmaker. 
The book tells the story of Tilly Dunnage, who, after a spell mastering the art of dressmaking overseas, returns to the small Australian town she was sent away from as a child. And the reason she was sent away slowly becomes clearer as the story goes on. I loved the vivid descriptions of the clothes and the fabric and the design, and it's so beautifully read. Um, Rosalie Ham, the author, is really good at illustrating her books. She's a really vivid and visual writer, and I found that with other books of hers that I've read as well. It's a style that she carries through all of all the things she writes. I was taken surprised by a couple of events in the book, which I guess is part of the process of really enjoying something is being surprised sometimes by the twists and turns that it takes um, and it being a little unpredictable. So having a soothing voice tell me some bad news was actually really comforting in some of those moments. Rachel Griffiths did voices for all of the characters. The book has so many more characters than the film. It's a real cast of many. Um, and all, she did that, um, you know, that affected kind of British-Australian accent that was so big. <laughs> at the t- And it just suited the setting of the book. Everything about it was perfect. I would highly recommend audiobooks. And I think that the reading experience can be enhanced when you're kind of listening to somebody talk to you. And so to the question, is listening to a book the same as reading a book? I would say yes. Yeah. Totally counts. It's, as yeah, it totally, totally counts. counts. Yeah, it's almost an added extra because you have that performance layer of a good narrator as well that that helps you know delve even deeper into the story sometimes. And yeah, no, absolutely, it counts. Perfect, <laughs> Justine. Thank you, Natalie. It's your turn. So my second choice for Fireside Reads is one of my one of my favourite books. It's the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Marianne Schaefer and Annie Barrows. So it's January 1946 and London is emerging from the shadow of the Second World War. Our heroine, writer Juliet Ashton, is looking for her next book subject. Juliet is a single woman in her early 30s who's been working as a journalist throughout the war and she has a promising literary career, a rich, handsome fiancé, and a desire to write something meaningful. One day Juliet receives a letter from Dorsey Adams, who lives on a farm on Guernsey, one of the Channel Islands. He explains that he's acquired a used book with Juliet's name and address written in it, and he wonders whether she can help him obtain more books like it. As Juliet and Dorsey exchange letters, Juliet is drawn into the world of this man and his friends. A wonderfully eccentric world it is too. The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, you can't help but smile when you say that title, born as a spur-of-the-moment alibi when its members were discovered breaking curfew by the Germans occupying their island, includes a charming, funny, deeply human cast of characters, from pig farmers to phrenologists, literature lovers, all of them. We get to know Juliet and her friends initially through their letters and telegrams to one another, and we learn the story of the Germans' World War II occupation of the island, a bleak affair of starvation, humiliation and slave labour. Juliet focuses in on the story of a fiercely independent, bona fide, quirky Guernseyan named Elizabeth McKenna, now missing, who had an affair and eventually a child with a German officer. Captivated by the stories she receives via letters, she sets sail for Guernsey and what she finds will change her forever. This book is written with warmth and humour. Initially, it's as a series of letters before moving to more traditional prose form. And this novel is a celebration of the written word and of finding connections in the most surprising ways. The reason the book has two authors is that Marianne Schaefer, who was also a librarian, mind you, uh, passed away just before publication, leaving her niece, writer Annie Barrows, to see the book through to completion. It's a true bittersweet ending in keeping with this story. 
It's never overly cutesy or sickly sweet, but instead has a great sense of the morbid and ridiculous, and also references themes of self-discovery, the magic of reading, standing strong in the face of danger. After I read it the first time, I bought three copies, one each from my mum, my aunt and my grandma. It is lovely, sad and uplifting, and just the perfect read for a cold winter's day spent in front of the heater. I loved it. So that's the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Marianne Schaefer and Annie Barrows. Such a good book. Beautiful. That is mm. a ringing endorsement. It is. I stayed away lovely. from that book fearing that it would be sickly sweet. So No, no it's, um, it, it isn't. It, yeah. The writers, writers, I suppose, were very smart in that there, there is this fascination with death, that morbid curiosity because of World War II and because of the, the harshness that the islanders faced and the fact that they lived with this threat over them. So it's ne- like that cuts through what could be otherwise really treacly mm. sweet. So, no, it's not, it's not too sweet, but it's, it's still pretty sweet. All right. Yes. That goes on the TBR. (laughs) Good to know. What's your last fireside read? Okay, so my second pick for today is The Lollipop Shoes by Joanne Harris. What a great title. It Mm. is. I feel Uh, hungry, though. (laughs) It was actually um, published uh, in the US as The Girl With No Shadow. I actually prefer that title because it's... sort of reflects the story a bit better for me. But it's not about food then. No, sadly. Yeah. But, <laughs> it is um, a bit sad. There is food inside the story. So if you just persevere please, past the cover. Please tell me you, about you'll be, that. You'll be sad. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this is, um, so The Lollipop Shoes is, she didn't want to call it a sequel, but it is a continuation of um, Joanne Harris's um, book, Chocolat. Um, and for those of you that have seen the movie with Juliette Binoche and um, Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp. Uh, it is the movie captured the general feel of that book, but it, the book is so much more than than what that that film was. I have a history of being bitterly disappointed by film adaptations, and that was one of them. So chocolate, yeah, that's <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> Food. There's lots of chocolate, yes, featuring in this as well. Great. So. Tell me about that. All right. Um, look, just before I continue, just a disclaimer that there's a lot of French names in this, seeing as it's set in France. I cannot pronounce anything French. So I'll, I'll be saying things as confidently as I can and they'll be wrong. <laughs> and I hope it doesn't, I doesn't. I don't offend too many people, but just keep that in mind. Okay, so we, we're back with... In the lollipop shoes, it's set about five years after the events in Chocolat. So uh, the the little girl, Anouk, um, from the first book, uh, is now about uh, 11 years old. Um, her mother, uh, Vianne Rocher, uh, she has, she's moved... She's moved Anouk um, from the little village that they were living in, uh, in the Parisian countryside, and they've moved to Montmartre. Uh, and so Anouk is now in secondary school. Um, her mother, Vianne, has had a complete change of heart about how she wants to live her life and the sort of life she wants to give her children since the events in, in Chocolat. So she's gone from being a very kind of uh, very free-spirited and very unconventional and very, um, you know, part of, I mean, her, her art is making chocolate, but in there was a lot of magical realism in Chocolat and there's it sort of continues in the lollipop shoes. But she's she's sort of denying that that magic and that skill that she has. So she wants to lead a completely conventional life. Um, she's changed her name and her daughter's name. She now also has a, a four-year-old um, who is um, her daughter from the relationship that she had with Rue uh, in the first book. Um, Rue does not know he's a father, though. That becomes an element in the story later. Anyway, and so they're, they're now living 
in Paris and she is living as straight-laced a life as possible. She still runs a chocolate shop, but she doesn't make the chocolates. She just orders them in. Um, there is no magic in their life at all. And her daughter, Anouk, is now... She, she's starting to get very resentful of that. She she resents that that magic is gone. She misses the intimacy she used to have with her mother uh, as a result. Like they felt like they were in cahoots all the time and now her mother has become very sort of wary and secretive and, um, yeah, has kind of is denying who she is to herself. And in in this mix comes uh, Zosie Delalba. That's not how you say it, but that's that's the the name. That's what it looks like on, on the text. And she's our antagonist. She's basically she's also very skilled with magic and glamour. Um, and she is she's everything Vianne used to be, but just with a little kick to it. Like she's a lot more um, in your face about it. And she immediately befriends Anouk, who thinks she's amazing. She moves into the shop with them. She starts working, and she starts helping Vianne get in touch with who she was and everything appears to be going hunky-dory for everybody uh, except that it quickly becomes apparent that Zosie has her own agenda and it's a very dark and horrible one and needs to be averted if possible if at all possible and so the um the story does switch between uh perspectives so you you get some chapters from uh, Zosie's um perspective some from Vianne and some from Anouk and it's um it's particularly interesting as the story goes on to sort of see each of them kind of piece together that this woman is not who she says she is because she is essentially a con artist and lots of other worse things besides so um so it is again it's it's a really fabulous read it's got lots of uh, elements that I think make for a really great fireside read so if for those that haven't tried magical realism, this is a really nice, friendly introduction to it. Um, it's It's got a great big message about the transformative power of love, both romantic and otherwise. Uh, there's the good versus evil in there, which keeps the, the interest going. But it's, it's really about the tremendous importance of staying true to yourself and avoiding those compromises in your life that will end up attacking your own integrity because that can lead to all kinds of, of trouble later on. Um, to boot, I also really like, and you you ladies both know this, that I love stories with a bad, quote-unquote, a bad woman uh, in them. Um, that's sort of my genre kryptonite because um, I really enjoy being all like, you know, you'll never get away with this, but I kind of want you to. But you must be stopped, <laughs> but I kind of don't want you to. <laughs> anyway, so I, I like that. And Zosie is a really good character for that. Um, and the author herself, Joanne Harris, when she was interviewed about The Lollipop Shoe, said that, that it is a lot darker um, than the story in Chocolat. She says that um, if Chocolat was milk chocolate, then Lollipop Shoes is 70%. And uh, which I think is a really good way to describe it. And for anyone that hasn't read Joanne Harris, it's like, yeah, it, reading one of her books is like eating one of those delicious European cakes, you know, with like the liqueur sponge and the cream. Mm. And she's she's awesome. Anyway, that was The Lollipop Shoes by Joanne Harris. Cake. <laughs> what are you guys doing to me today? <laughs> I love Joanne Harris. And uh, funnily enough, when we did um, for over summer, we do a, a summer reading thing and we did a book bingo, which was really great fun. And one of the things that was in the book bingo, one of the squares was to read a book by an author that had your initials and my initials are JH. Oh. So I picked Joanne Harris and I read The Lollipop Shoes because I'd read Chocolat and loved it and mm. seen the movie and loved it. And yeah, definitely a lot darker. Mm. But don't you just love that comparison? Like I love sitting in front of a fire or a warm heater and having that 
dark chocolate with my tea. I mean, that's exactly what reading her book is like. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, and so many of her stories, I think with only one or two exceptions, all her stories remind me of just, I don't know, there's just something lush about them. Mm. There's something, yeah, it's amazing. So good. Mm. Any food in your next fireside read, Natalie? No, no food in the book, but I am starving right now. I need a snack. <laughs> well, soon. Okay. I'll do this and then I'm getting a snack. <laughs> it cannot be stopped when snacks are on my mind. Okay, okay, books. All right, books. Here we go. The Turner House by Angela Flournoy. It was written in 2015. It's a debut novel. It's brilliant. He's really smart. People writing books. Oh, I love them. <laughs> Keep doing it. Don't stop. Uh, so for over 50 years, the Turner family have lived on Yarrow Street in Detroit. Uh, the house that they live in raises 13 siblings and after it suffers the loss of the father, um, the siblings continue to grow up and they start to move out out to the suburbs um, or out of Detroit entirely. But the house stands through all of this change. When the mother, however, falls ill and cannot live alone, the Turner siblings must gather to decide what to do with this family home. It's a really sprawling story. It's beautiful. It chronicles not only the growth and change of the Turner family um, as new siblings are added to the collection um, between 1944 and 2008, which is a huge length of time, but also chronicles the growth and change of Detroit as a city over that time. So from comfort and wealth to abandoned homes and vacant blocks. Um, the impact of the global financial crisis on the US housing market is evident throughout the book. And it's kind of nice, I find, when books take in some of the societal effects that are going on at a particular time. And I think American authors do this really well. They'll sort of casually refer to big uh, moments in history, in American history, and they put it in these fictional narratives. And everything about the book is entirely fictional, but they'll be this one cornerstone like the global financial crisis or 9-11 or something else historic where we can sort of place the book. I don't know that Australian authors do that so often. Anyway, off topic, different, that's a different podcast. Um, Cha-Cha, Charles, is the eldest brother of the siblings. He's 23 years older than the youngest sibling, so he could almost be a parent, really, when you look at it. And he does have a lot of parental responsibilities for his younger um, siblings as they're growing. Um, The book follows Cha-Cha and Layla, he's the youngest sibling. Uh, Both of them are battling with their own memories of what their childhoods were like, their desires to live better and be better and they're both battling a ghost of some kind. The pace of the book is beautiful and perfect for a comfortable read. Um, The writing is uncomplicated. It is perfect for a fireside read. There's this sprawling family tree inside the front of the book but um, this book really didn't have me referring to that family tree so often. It was actually a really new characters were added very naturally anyway absolutely wonderful. It's perfect for the reading that you do when you don't have to get up and do something else, when you can just sit and be. You can get involved with the characters, follow them around as they lead you deeper and deeper into their lives, get snuggly and cosy with them. It's called The Turner House by Angela Flournoy and I recommend it highly. Sounds interesting. It's definitely up your alley, I know, with the family saga side of things. Love a family. (laughs) Love them. Well, Athena, what are you going to read next? Uh, I'm actually going to move on to staying with the Joanne Harris theme. I'm actually going to move on to the third book in the Chocolat series. Ooh. I hadn't actually realised that this was part of it until I was making my notes for this podcast. So it's called, again, apologies to French people everywhere. <laughs> it's called uh, Peaches for Monsieur Le Cure. 
maybe. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it's it's set again another four or five years after the events in the lollipop shoes and um, Vianne and her daughters are going to head back to the village that started it all because they may very well be needed there again. And it Ooh. sounds really interesting. And yeah. so I've already got it checked out. Fabulous. Oh. You have to let us know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Natalie, what about you? What is on your list next? It sounds like it's about food. I think. <laughs> oh, there'll be chocolate. Oh, People plenty. are going to think we're starving, Natalie. <laughs> always hungry. <laughs> hungry for more books. Always. Um, next up, I'm going to read Our Magic Hour by Jennifer Down, and I intend to devour that book whole. Mm. I am going to love it. I already know. I already know. I'm determined to love it. Justine, what about you? I am looking forward to a book called Radiance by Catherine M. Valente. She's a really fabulous uh, author of a junior book series, um, the fairy tale, a fairyland series. And the first book of that series is called uh, The Girl Who Circumnavigated fairyland in a ship of her own making and um, I love that series and uh, she's written a few other books um, for adults and this is the newest one and I'm interested. Excellent. Mm. So that's our show. Thank you so much Athena for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's, it's been lots fun. of fun. Pleasure. Yes. Let's do and, this and again sometime. Mm. Next time though maybe we should bring some food for Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear any weird noises it's just my stomach rumbling. <laughs> talk about food like that. It's unfair. We're supposed to be talking about books. We are. Um, you can read our show notes, including a list of the books we discussed on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. We would also love you to tell us what you have been reading um, and ask us for a reading recommendation. You can tweet us at melblibrary, M-E-L-B-L-A-B-R-A-R-Y, with the hashtag Dear Reader, or join the conversation on Goodreads. Don't forget you can download Dear Reader episodes at Sound cloud or itunes by searching for melbourne library service and subscribing hey justine we got another review on itunes oh i know it was so lovely i'm collecting them i'm so (laughs) it's such a thrill you're putting them under your pillow no i should share them with my mum (laughs) yes you should Um, the fab music on our program is by ben mason check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au and until next time dear reader thanks for listening